Okay, welcome back. Um, the Reserving Working Party is going to now do a presentation. Um, a little bit about a, a little bit of history about the group. There were initially um, two uh, working parties: uh, a reserving one and a ERM and capital one. Um, and due to not enough volunteers, uh, they decided to merge and become one combined working group. Um, their presentation will discuss the results from a recent survey they conducted. Um, this survey stemmed from their objectives, their objectives as a working group to perform research that would be useful to the industry and to obtain a view of market practice. Um, in addition, there has been similar surveys conducted internationally and they felt that the SA insurance industry would benefit from something similar. Um, please wel welcome um, the, the, the working group. Hi, and welcome to our presentation on the Resilient Survey. I, myself, Kevin, and Sajeev would be the representatives for our working group. And I felt that seeing that everyone just had lunch, we're going to struggle a bit to get everyone's attention. So I went on the internet and found a, I'm not sure if it's a funny joke, but I hope it's funny. So <laughs> it's, an, sorry, it's an underwriter, an actuary, and a, an insurance salesperson who are driving a car. So the insurance salesperson has his foot on the brake, and the underwriter has his foot on the accelerator, and that he's looking at the back window and telling them where to drive. <laughs> so, hopefully that makes it a bit more light <laughs> Okay, so on the agenda, I'll be covering the aspirations of our working party, an overview of our survey, and then we'll go through the results in detail. The aspirations of the working group. So, um, as we've mentioned before, we wanted to produce useful results as a working group that the industry can use. And we, as a working group, we would like, well, we enjoy having members on the working group who are enthusiastic about research, and they would like to contribute and make a difference in the industry. Our main objective is to produce market practice and an industry view of various areas. And as a working group, we have ERM, capital, and reserving as our topics. And um, this year so far, so, um, we've ticked one objective at least, so we've produced our reserving survey, and we would like to, from this, follow on to an, an, a second survey um, based on our insights from the first survey. And this list is not exhaustive. We would like to, to encourage all members from the industry to get back to us. We have an email address at the end of this presentation to um, sorry, um, provide certain topics that they would like to um, suggest us to um, research on and any other things that they would like to um, ask to look into. So in terms of an overview of the survey, it was done industry-wide in South Africa and it was based on IFRS practices. This is an important point when we get to what Kevin and Sajeev will be covering later. It wasn't based on an, intern, an intended future state and a time. It was only filled in by, re, by reserving actuaries and we received 17 responses. We did a quick check based on our responses received, and if um, we based it on what we, well, this, we spoke to a few people in the industry to find out who filled it out, and it seems like a good representation of the industry. And um, the bigger, most of the big players were, were representative in the survey. The majority of the respondents were employees, and a few consultants filled out the survey as well. I'll now go, now go through a few results from the survey on data. 
And data quality was rated around six out of 10 on average. And, and the responses were mainly between eight, sorry, between six and eight out of 10. And in terms of data quality over the last five years, generally the industry felt that the data has improved. However, there was 24% of the respondents who felt that the data did not improve at all over the, fast, over the past five years. In terms of historic data use, the majority of the industry players use between four and 10 years of historic data. And um, gen some people use up to, oh sorry, more than 15 years. Another point on data, in terms of incurred paid and the combination of the two, the majority of respondents use incurred data and then several people do use paid or a combination between paid and incurred data. I'll now hand over to Kevin to cover the rest of the results. Thanks, Lynette. Lynette has provided some of the feedback from the survey uh, relating to data in particular. I'll con continue presenting the results from the survey, uh, starting with the rescue software, or oh, sorry, the reserving software that's used by the respondents in the, <laughs> in the survey. So as you can see, the majority of respondents do use Rescue and or Excel um, in calculating their best estimate RBNR, as well as their additional margin. 82% of respondents that, uh, did calculate the additional margin. And note that the, the survey was focused on an IFRS basis rather than a SAM basis. So the additional margin that we're referring to here is the margin for prudence, or the, the margin that's supposed to reflect the uncertainty inherent, inherent in the business being analyzed. Moving on to the methodologies that were used in calculating the best estimates RBNR. Most of the respondents use the standard techniques such as chain ladder, uh, BF method, uh, some use loss ratio, uh, loss ratio approach. Uh, some did use a combination of methods and respondent 13 used interim measures in full. 44% of, of the respondents analyzed their large claims separately uh, only one out of the 16 respondents excluded large claims completely from their analysis. Again, 44% did calculate the RBNR using payment types. 53% of, of, of the respondents calculated um, the RBNR using interim measures where there was limited data available. Others did use approximations, such as a loss ratio approach, or use benchmarks to similar classes. When calculating quarterly estimates, uh, quarterly reserving estimates, apart from the full year-end review, 49% used the roll-forward methodology. Further, 29% performed a full reserve review on a quarterly basis, whereas others just updated their interim measures um, in line with regulatory requirements. 
and then one of the respondents updated their frequency assumptions. Having a look at allowance, other allowances in the reserving process. So when allowing for reinsurance, 41% of respondents analyzed gross of reinsurance triangles only and then approximated their net IBNR. 29% analyzed gross and net triangles and then derived their reinsurance IBNR as the difference. And then the remaining 29% we think calculated uh, or analyze gross and reinsurance triangles directly to calculate their reinsurance IBNR. 71% of companies analyzed IBNER separately. 59% made an explicit allowance for unallocated loss adjustment expenses. 35% of companies separate ALAEs from their claim amounts. When calculating the IFRS additional margin over and above the best estimates, uh, most respondents used a 75th percentile level of sufficiency. A couple of other respondents used a 66th percentile. One, one of the respondents used, the, used 25 percent of standard deviation when calculating the additional margin. A couple of the respondents did not calculate a margin at all. Uh, perhaps these are the respondents that used interim measures. With insurance, in, insurers gearing up for SAM, it was encouraging to see that more than half of the respondents uh, segmented their business using, a, using SAM class as a business. 29% used an SDE level of reporting or to segment their business. One of the respondents used the combination of SDE class and SAM classes as well as other internal business requirements to, seg to segment their business. Twenty-nine percent of the respondents performed a full reserve review on an annual basis. 41% on a semi-annually, 24% quarterly, and it was impressive to see one respondent that performed a full reserve review on a monthly basis. 47% of, of, of the respondents had less than, less, two or less, sorry, that's a mistake on the slide, two or less um, full-time individuals in a reserving team, in their reserving teams. 53% had th three individuals on their reserving teams and none of the respondents had more than three. From a reporting point of view, 71% of the respondents produced detailed re reserving reports. When presenting to the board or at, at an exco level, 62% provided a detailed reserve report, whereas the remaining respondents, they either provided detailed results or, or a summary of those results. When having a look at the actuarial control function, 
76% of the respondents said that they did have an actuarial con control function in place. 47% of the total said that th this was done internally, where 29% of the total said that they had an ex external actuarial control function. Of the respondents that said that they didn't have an actuarial control function in place, a couple of them said that this was planned for the future, where, whereas a couple said that th this wasn't planned for in the foreseeable future. Just a comment on one of those respondents said that they did have a risk management function in place. I'll now, now hand over to Sajeev, who will continue to go through our reserving survey results, including an interesting reserving example that we posed to the industry. Awesome, thank you, Kevin, um, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, so in our survey, we actually asked where was the most time spent during the reserving process. Um, and on average, people seem to have almost an equal time spent in terms of the data, the analysis, and the reporting. But the range almost kind of spread with the minimum to be quite low, around 10%, and the maximum to more than 70% of the time spent on either one of the items. So there's quite a big spread in terms of time taken. Uh, during the reserving process in different elements. The key constraints to ensuring accurate estimates are produced, uh, we wanted to know what were the main constraints, of which data was the biggest constraint that came through in terms of the survey, following by time and then granularity. Following by that was resources and SAM, and then luckily no one actually had no time key, uh, key, re uh, sorry, key resource, uh, constraints. Going to now to the very interesting fun example. Um, in our survey, we actually attached a little fun exercise that we wanted to try and see what sort of estimates um, actually will come out with. Uh, we're given no information in terms of the company and what lines of business it operated in or anything like that. But we just provided a template where you could calculate your ultimate IBNRs using both your paid and incurred claims data. The, the, the template was able to use uh, your chain data and your BF method. And in this example, we wanted to illustrate how using different methodologies or uh, how actors actually could come with different points of views. Um, we initially started off with this example with using very simple data. Um, and I think from a test that we did within our working group, we found a very small variance between the different respondents. But we decided to make the data a little bit more interesting to see what the industry would come out with. Um, of, of all of the 17 respondents, only 11 people actually responded to this part of the survey. Um, and two, two respondents we, re we kind of recorded as being as outliers. Um, and this was the total reserving results. <laughs> Spanning from uh, a result of minus 10,000 and going up to, I think it's 108,000 um, in terms of an Alpen IBNR. Um, and um, in terms of looking at the outliers, uh, one outlier gave us some interesting percentages. Uh, we're not sure exactly how to read that. And we had a respondent that gave us um, 49 million as an IBNR result, which we thought was probably they had more fun in the exercise than we intended them to do. <laughs> 
looking at the results, um, we, could, we could identify that there are def definitely different approaches in terms of conservatism and prudence. Um, and, and we also saw that there were also a reliance in terms of one method or the other. Um, and people relied in terms of looking at both pay data and cur data and just looking at the triangles. And people use their actuarial judgment generally in the very earlier years. But what could have out given a lot of these variances in terms of results was that understanding the data is quite key and having an understanding of where these outliers in the data was, was quite important. In terms of the reserving results in terms of uh, an accident year basis, um, we could see that there was a general clumping of respondents that had prudence uh, in very early years. And then for later years seems to be a general trend of optimism. And everybody had very similar estimates for their first accident year. So kind of give a very brief outline in terms of these results, but that there were some consistencies in some of the accident years in terms of the approach. Uh, but in total, the reserve numbers were totally different. Um, there was also a very different approach in terms of like conservatism and prudence and who actually took into account negative IBNRs or not. Um, in terms of the, the working group, um, these are the working group members, and I'd like to ask if the working group members could stand up and just uh, show themselves who's actually involved, because all of this work was actually the contribution of the entire working group and not just the three of us. So. <laughs> Um, as, as Lynette, um, and probably in terms of the introduction, um, we actually had not as many members join, and we were actually looking for new members to come and join. Um, so if you have the time, and if you think you're able to give sufficient effort, and you're enthusiastic enough, uh, please contact us as we're calling for, new, for more members so that we can extend our research into more interesting avenues. Um, and if you guys have any questions. Uh, thank you, guys. Um, the interim measures IBNR is it parameterized to to represent seventy fifth percentile or or best estimate? Uh, who would you like to answer that question? Uh, who would you like to answer the question for you? Uh, anyone? Uh, anyone? Anyone? <laughs> anyone in the room? <laughs> um, the, 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 that research wasn't quite part of our um, our our ambit. Uh, but from what we do know in terms of a lot of consultants agree that maybe that the interim measures is maybe calibrated to 75th. Um, so there probably is evidence, but I have actually never seen it. Thank you. Just to add to that question, the FCR calibration that was done in 2006 and I think updated in 2009 discusses how the interim measures calibration was done. Um, if memory serves, I think the FSB adopted that, but tweaked it a bit to form interim measures. So FCR wasn't, I mean, interim measures and FCR are not exactly the same, but yes, in the FCR context, it was calibrated off star return data, which I guess is questionable, to be 75th percentile. Yeah, good, uh, Paul Trayans. You can see from my age that I was lucky enough to qualify as an actuary without having to do study general insurance, <laughs> which also means that I've never, ever done that reserving exercise that you sent us as a fun thing. I'm also uh, the chairman of one of the largest short-term insurance companies, risk committees, and I'm on the audit committee, and we're supposed to um, provide comfort 
especially on the IFRS, as to um, significant estimates, and the reserves are the biggest significant estimate. And until I'd seen what you've just presented, I was fairly confident that give the same claims data to a bunch of short-term actors, you wouldn't find such big discrepancies. <laughs> now, my question is, is actually serious, not just just, did you choose a data that was meant to seek out where there are slight differences in subjectivity? So this is an extreme example of what you might get. Yes, because, yes. because if I was an outsider sitting in on this conference now, I would be really worried now about, you know, these actually, <laughs> what number do you want and, and you know, produce it. You know, you can give the same kind of claims data to the life actually, you'll get a very close, uh, is, is, this a, a, is this something I should be worried about and we should be worried about or? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that, that it was something to be worried about. In fact, uh, when we initially started this entire process, we um, had a data set that was pretty run of the mill. Um, and, and within the working, working group, we actually sampled to see what type of results uh, everybody would get. And I think everybody had like about a 3% difference in terms of the, the results. So um, with, with some clever thinking, we managed to cook up a data set uh, that would give very extreme results um, and, and we'll actually test to see uh, where people would apply some sort of thinking and where would this actuarial judgment come from. Um, and we wanted to kind of show that uh, if you were given any actuary a chance uh, with a whole lot of different data and not really explaining to them what the data was or, or any background information about it, uh, what sort of results would come up from it. So yeah, it is a very extreme example just to kind of test to see what thinking comes out with erratic data. If I can just add to that. Um, another thing that we, we didn't say, say earlier, um, but when, when you do perform a reserving exercise, you should have a good understanding of the underlying business that you, you are analyzing. So that's, that's a very important aspect. Um, what we, when we provided a reserving example, we didn't have any background to what class of business it, it was. So for any reserving actuary, they should have a very good understanding of, of that business that they're analyzing. Um, and then Lynette also just mentioned now that, do you want to say? Okay. I just wanted to add to their points in terms of, I, I think science stresses it extremely well. Um, you need to document and have governance around your Choices. So if you choose as a naturally to say exclude negatives or to smooth in detail or certain other calls you make, you need to have evidence of why you think that and why not if you don't allow for it. And in addition to that, it's also important to perform sensitivity tests and show the range in terms of how you got to your estimate and why you feel comfortable with your pick of X. And I think that would also support your, your um, choice and also give comfort to the board. And then in addition to that, I think governance structures in second, first line auditors, I think all of those structures in your universe of your company, that's also important because there's a different actuary on second line to first, and then they can also provide additional comfort and challenge. So that if you pick an IBNR that they would say it jumps like Steve's example shows, it's so extreme. If the one actually chooses the one extreme and the other one chooses the other, then there needs to be a reasoning for either the one or the other or a midpoint or, yeah, you need to support it and especially if it's expert judgment, because each person's expert judgment it can be quite different. Thank you. That was quite very interesting, actually, to see the, the ranges with which actuaries actually come up with. And I think that's the, um, um, 
what, what is interesting is just how many, or maybe what could be interesting from a survey is how many, if we asked uh, the audience the assumptions underlying some of these projection types, if everyone would actually know, you know, if they apply chain ladder, what the underlying assumptions are. But I mean, is it possible just to highlight what type of omission you, or how you actually caught out the actories? Um, you know, what, what specific areas um, or, or features of data could give rise to such wide ranges? And then, Kevin, you just said something about if you knew what class of business you are projecting. Um, you know, in this case, if there was more background, maybe what could have been a mitigating feature? Um, yeah, so <clears throat> uh, in terms of the data, we, we try to uh, simulate very large claims or, or cat events in the data, uh, which was resulted in, in very irregular kind of patterns rather than very smooth ones. Um, so we, we, we actually, uh, the data set was just really combined, it was already uh, aggregated uh, data and so what we did was we just removed um, fixed demands from certain points in the development, of, in, in, in the data, in, uh, in the paid data and uh, incurred data. Um, and in terms of, of kind of what we looked at and it was, it was something that, we, well, that I saw was that uh, if you had looked at any of the paid or incurred data, uh, none of the lines were actually completely developed yet. Um, and, and it could be just be misrepresentation in terms of the data because um, sometimes the reserving actually, you do, you do land up getting data sets that don't necessarily make sense um, for something that may be very short term like motor. Um, and, and you can almost see in different people's approaches that they were thinking, some people you could see were looking around the lines that this is actually long term data and we need to be uh, quite prudent in terms of the long, long term. But uh, it, it almost looked like some of the people also had a different view in terms that it could also be a short line. Um, and, and it's quite interesting to see that if you look in terms of each of the different calculations. Um, what, what was actually would have added a lot more value in terms of the analysis was that if people actually submitted um, they, they, the calculations, so you could actually see um, what smoothing techniques they used, um, but we could almost identify immediately uh, if it was paid triangles or incurred triangles just by looking at the data. No, I think the second half of your, of your question, Hannes, it was just if you do pick, if you do have a good understanding of the business being analysed, uh, how would you use that in your analysis and the mitigating aspects of your analysis? So I think a, a good popular example there is if if there has been a changing claims handling approach. Um, so your case estimate uh, reserving philosophy that may have changed. So so you may choose to um, exclude certain factors or certain ratios in your triangles. Um, another example is uh, where claim payments may have sped up or there's been a, a trend in claim payments. You may focus more on your in incurred analysis and, and the list goes on. So a re reserving actually would have a look at the data with the understanding of the business and what's happened in uh, with with claim systems and handling, uh, try to incorporate that into informing those actual judgment decisions. Now, I, I think in short that reserving is actually not just a very fun exercise. Uh, you almost <laughs> you have to take a lot of uh, consideration and almost have a lot of rev review teams to kind of assist in setting up a lot of the assumptions. Um, so if if we were to give actuaries free reign to do whatever they wanted to. 
you would then definitely get a variety of interesting answers and results. Just quickly on this side, I, I, I want to say I think it's a very good initiative. Um, I, th I think the fact of the matter is in the industry we have quite a variety of practices and they might all be right. So you could have an accounting policy, for instance, that says that you are not recognizing salvages and recoveries until it's actually received, so you don't accrue for it. So in terms of the accounting policy, you might be fundamentally correct by ignoring those future negative cash flows. I think what will be interesting is in the future SAM world, you are supposed to, if you do go the discounted cash flow approach, you are supposed to quantify all those cash flows separately, irrespective of what your IFRS policy says for your accounting policy. Maybe if I could make the suggestion, it's easy to sit in the audience and dish up work, but it'd be fascinating to see how the practices evolve under SAM, you know, how many of the respondents you know, opt for simplifications, who go detail modeling, and, and perhaps have a follow-up of this, and maybe down the line we have to think about uh, potential, not guidance not necessarily, but you know, standards or your information guidelines to help guide actuaries along this path. And, and maybe we don't have to start from scratch. You know, I know there was a, a massive reserving manual that you could access if you're part of the UK membership. Um, you know, every single method you could think about, when to use it, how to use it. And maybe one could adapt some of that reserving manual for South Africa to give kind of steer to actuaries, especially for those who haven't seen all the types that you could dream of. And if I just look at the data set that you cooked up, you know, it shows that collaborative thinking, you can get up with some very good guidance for the industry. And although we shouldn't conform to the same number, at least there's guidance out there for actuaries when they have to go about this. Thank you.